Let's pray this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And all of God's children said, Amen. In this fast-moving world of technology, many responsible pet owners have now microchipped their animals. Of course, if you're not familiar with that, a microchip is a small chip placed under their skin, and a special scanner is run over that chip. The animal's, the animal's whole history is available. The pet name, the owner's name, address, phone number, vet's name, address, and phone number, medications taken. It's all there as you scan the chip on that animal. Most animal shelters now have those scanners, and when a lost or wandering animal is brought in, scanning is the first thing that happens. And often the lost then is found immediately. Parents of teenagers have gotten the message too, and increasingly number of parents with or more often without their teen's knowledge bug their kid's car to keep track of where they are at all times. Technology from the car is then relayed to the parent's phone to keep an eye on driving habits, speed, even there are cameras in the rearview mirror. More familiar are parental controls put on email accounts, gaming systems, even the young person's phone. Alerting mom and dad when inappropriate websites are accessed or emails received or text messages sent. But think about it for a minute. If we're as concerned for our children's safety and welfare as we are for our pets, shouldn't we microchip our kids? In fact, wouldn't it be great if along with continual tracking and locating our kids, a small camera could record their every move? But wait, what if we even added a tiny electronic zapper? Think what parents could do. See Susie starting to get in a car with someone who's pretty unsavory? Give her a little zap to remind her not to get in the car. Or a buzzer records Tommy's car going over the speed limit. So you give him a reminder zap to stay within limits. Detect the presence of alcohol on anybody, anywhere, anytime, give a zap. But all that aside, even in such a big brother is watching world, the truth is there is just too much temptation out there. It's too strong an urge to misbehave and to even ever keep track of everything. In fact, when a professor of mine in seminary tried the zap technique with their husky dog, through using the invisible fence, zapper collar, the dog quickly learned that a, a few seconds of pain against the outer limits of the fence were well worth the two hours of glorious romping around the countryside hunting rabbits outside the invisible fence. We're surrounded by temptations on every side. On a tight budget or watching your weight, dollar menus at fast food joints tempt us to binge on a pile of cheap, fatty, overprocessed food. You know what the beauty of the internet is? It has everything. You know what the curse of the internet is? It has everything. At the touch of a button, good information is right there at your fingertips. At another touch of a button, here's an endless supply of garbage. Gossip, pornography, violence, hate. Smartphones keep us in touch no matter where we go. Yet smartphones tempt us to never be anywhere except on our phones. A first car gives its recipients freedom, responsibility, great possibilities for travel, but a first car also tempts a young driver 
to head to the mall instead of the library, to drive too fast, to show off at the wheel. You have to do work around the house, so do you do it? Or do you binge watch the latest movie or series that is your favorite on Netflix? Our culture is packed with options that are both possibilities and pitfalls. One of the number one temptations we indulge in most regularly, the temptation to gloat and glory over the fall of other people. Our indulgence in this temptation keeps a swarm of photographers recording the Kardashians every move. Our indulgence of this temptation splashes the mugshots of celebrity drunk drivers across video screens as though that's the real news. Our indulgence of this temptation brings us shocking true crime shows, court TV, bad boys, bad girls, notorious, as though watching other sins somehow absolves us of our own. This season of Lent is supposed to be a time of serious spiritual searching, spiritual renewal. It's a time for self-scrutiny and rededication to a life of service, and if need be, suffering in that cause for the kingdom. It's a time of preparation for the passion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. How then has it become a time to give up chocolate or cheeseburgers or video games or your favorite TV show on Netflix? What have we done to this sacrificial season of Lent? The temptation or test that the devil flung at Jesus after his 40-day fast in the wilderness weren't just challenges to do something he wasn't supposed to do. They were challenges tempting Jesus to be someone who he was not born to be. Let me say that again. Jesus' 40-day fast in the wilderness, they weren't just challenges to do something he wasn't supposed to do, but they were challenges tempting Jesus to be someone he was not born to be. The ultimate temptations in life are not those that push you to do things you aren't supposed to do, but to be a person you weren't made to be. The devil wasn't tempting Jesus to take the edge off his hunger by turning stones into bread. He was tempting the Son of God to replace his table fellowship with God with fast food. The devil wasn't tempting Jesus to jump off the temple roof. He was tempting the Son of God to demand that God take action based on the Son's desires and preferences. The devil wasn't tempting Jesus with the power and prestige offered by the kingdoms of the world. He was tempting the Son of God to intentionally orphan himself from God the Father. Have you ever considered how stacked this deck was against the devil succeeding in these temptations? For 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus had been alone with the Spirit who led him there. For 40 days and 40 nights, he's been away from needy crowds, mundane concerns, tiresome commitments. For 40 days and 40 nights, he'd been in communion with his Father in ways we can't even imagine. And after 40 days and nights, Jesus may have been famished, but his spirit, his spirit was strong. After 40 days and nights, Jesus was more truly himself than he had ever been before. The devil fails miserably, not because Jesus refuses to do the things offered. The devil fails miserably because Jesus will be no one other than his own true self, the Son of God. 
The temptation to be less than you are, to be less than what God has made each of us to be, to be other than who you were born to be, is the great temptation that underlies all the other temptations in our life. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection offer us a new covenant relationship with God because Jesus took his identity all the way to the cross. Because he did that, we have the gift of new life in Christ. God has called us to be God's beloved, to be God's sons and daughters, redeemed, redreamed, recreated, reborn. God calls us to be this true self, to be the body of Christ on earth, to allow Christ to live his resurrection life through us, making us more the original, one-of-a-kind person God created us to be. During this season of Lent, instead of giving up some indulgence, some temptation to do something, whether it be eating, whether it be drinking, whether it be complaining, what if we were to take on something? What if we were to personally take on the identity of Christ? What if we were to corporately take on the identity of Christ's body in the community? Many of us in school learned about the Puritans and their culture that reigned in power in New England from the 17th and the 18th centuries. When we picture somebody or we say somebody's puritanical, we envision an ominous, scowling face, a figure all dressed in black, probably carrying a threatening hickory stick. We picture that Puritans were so straight-laced they squeaked. They had no sense of humor. They forbid any fun and had a fondness for putting people in the stockade or prison and nipping any and all sins in the bud before they had a chance to even think about blooming. At least that's the common reputation that Puritans have seared into our brains. But while it is true that the culture Puritans created was really strict, at least according to our relaxed standards. What they were really trying to do was create a society that made it as difficult as possible to sin, outlawing all those distracting temptations was done in order to let the people concentrate fully on who they truly were, the body of Christ. Yet while the Puritans tried to make sinning hard, they also fully expected that people would indeed sin. And after all, our sinful nature is the reason we needed a Savior in the first place. Every, every Puritan child learned this first in the textbook called the New England Primer, which had words that read, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. Sure, Puritans made it hard to sin as much as they could, but they also made it as easy as they could for those who did sin to be restored back into the community. The Puritans built into their life together structures of, of reconciliation and restoration that would enable those who submitted to any temptation, any sin, to be welcomed back into the fold. Those who fell were not attacked, but held back up and hugged back to life. What a difference our world is today. We make it as easy to sin as we possibly can. Our every moment bombarded with images that, that tempt and invite us, go ahead, take the first step. And then when someone does succumb to the temptation, what do we do? We reel back in horror and say, how could you do it? Shame on you. 
depart from me. During the season of Lent, what if we decided to take on rather than give up? What if instead of criticizing others, we took on the blessing of others? What if we were to resolve that every person we would encounter this Lent, we would find some way to bless them? With a smile, with a compliment, with some word of encouragement? What if we were to seek out and take on those who have fallen? Those for whom temptations to be other than what God intends for them has claimed the triumph? What if we were to take on the mission of blessing certain people ignored by others? What if we were to become a blesser? To embolden others to be what God created them to be? Or a blesser that empowers others not just to feel an emotion, but to own it and take responsibility for it? Or maybe you need to spend this Lent taking on your true identity as one of God's children. One of my favorite Christian artists in the past has been singer-songwriter Rich Mullins. He's been called the poet laureate of the contemporary Christian music world. Mullins lived humbly among the Native Americans and was killed returning to his mission in a car accident one stormy night in 1997. When admirers would come up to him and ask him to sign a picture or a CD case or cover, he simply wrote these words, be gods, rich. This Lent, instead of giving up on M&Ms, let's take on a mission. And the ultimate mission in life is the mission that Jesus fulfilled in scripture this morning for us and calls us to be gods. Jesus fulfilled that so that we could be gods. We could be God's children in the world today. What do you need to take on rather than give up? What do you need to take on in mission and ministry? And maybe that's it, just being a blesser taking on being a blesser of whoever you come in contact with this Lent. A smile, a nice word, and a hug. Because we are all called to be God's children. Amen.